0: Let's open our Bibles together to Psalm 51, Psalm 51. I'm going to read and preach verses 7 through 9 this evening. We're returning to this well-known psalm that we're working our way through here and there on Sunday evenings. Pastor Deckard is sick this evening, too sick to preach. We can be praying for him. I think he has a heavy cold, so I am filling in for him Lord willing, we'll hear the sermon on Christ and Him crucified next Sunday evening that He's prepared. And because this was naturally a last-minute change, you don't have sermon notes for this sermon in front of you. So let me give you the information you would normally have there in your sermon notes. The sermon is on Psalm 51, again, verses 7 through 9. The sermon title, if you'd like to write it down, is Broken Bones Rejoicing Broken bones rejoicing. The outline has two points. Point number one is cleansing. That'll be verses seven and nine. And then point number two is rejoicing, verse eight. So cleansing and rejoicing. And kids, the key words for kids are as follows. You can write these down quickly, or mom or dad can write them down for you gold, snow, Delete, delete, sock, criminal, and bones. Again, gold, snow, delete, sock, criminal, and bones. So, Psalm 51. In this psalm, we're overhearing David's confession of sin to God, and we are learning how to confess our sins. To God as well. We're learning about the sinfulness of our sins. The Bible calls transgressions and iniquities and so on. We're learning about the object of our sin, if you will. Our sin is against God, God Himself. We're learning about the longevity of our sin. We've been sinful from birth, sinful even from the moment of our conception. And in all that, we've been learning of our need for the steadfast love and the abundant mercy. Of our Lord. And this evening we're going to look at verses 7 through 9, which again are about cleansing and rejoicing. The cleansing we need from our sin and the rejoicing that flows from that cleansing. So let's look to God in prayer and then we'll begin. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us a fresh sense, a deeper sense this evening of the cleansing we need from our sin, cleansing that only you can give us through the blood of Christ. And like David prayed, we pray that you would let us hear joy and gladness and let the bones that you have broken rejoice. May there be much rejoicing in our lives in light of the cleansing from sin we have in Christ. And we pray in his name, amen. Psalm 51, reading verses 7 through 9. This is God's holy word. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out. All my iniquities. We're going to look first at the cleansing David prays for in verse 7 and in verse 9, and then we'll look at the rejoicing he prays for in the middle verse in verse 8. So again, cleansing, then rejoicing. And under the category of cleansing, David makes four requests. And the first is there at the beginning of verse 7. He prays to God. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Purge me, he prays. Purge me of my sins. Rid me of my sins. Get rid of them. Get them out of me, he prays. Like impurities are purged from gold or silver in a furnace. Purge me of all my impurities. Burn away the dross. Consume my dross and refine my gold. Purge my soul of my sin, David prays. And notice the method or the instrument of purging that he mentions. Purge me with hyssop, hyssop. My study Bible says that hyssop is a plant with hairy leaves and branches, bunches of the branches are good for sprinkling. Now, of course, David knows that a plant can't purge him of his sins. The plant was a pointer to what could purge him of his sins, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ was symbolized throughout the Old Testament in the whole system of sacrifices that pointed ahead to Christ That pointed ahead to the once-for-all sacrifice of the Lamb of God upon the cross, and the blood of the sacrificial animals in the Old Testament was sometimes sprinkled on the people or on other objects using hyssop, using bunches of branches of hyssop that were dipped in the blood and then used to sprinkle or apply the blood in some way to people or objects like in the Passover in Exodus 12. Listen to verses 21 through 23 of Exodus 12. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Or as we read in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter nine, verses 19 through 22. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats So we can see why David prays here Purge me with hyssop. Purge me of my sins with hyssop, with the blood that is sprinkled on me using hyssop, which is ultimately the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean, he says. Even though I'm unclean, I shall be clean. Even though I'm polluted, I shall be purged. The only way you can be clean is if you are purged of your sins by the blood of Christ. So when you are unclean, when you are guilty, when you have sinned, remember what we sing together, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. When you've sinned, don't try to scrub out the stain by doing good deeds. The only stain remover that works on sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. When you've sinned, go straight to Christ and ask him to forgive you and to cleanse you. The second request David makes under this category of cleansing is in the second half of verse 7 there. He prays, Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. It's a wonderful prayer for us to pray. Simple, humble, hopeful. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. It's similar to what he said back up in verse two. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Wash me, cleanse me, scrub me clean Wash me thoroughly, wash me inside and out. Wash not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, as Peter said to Jesus. Wash my thoughts, wash my words, wash my actions. Wash my motives, wash my desires, wash even my dreams, wash my whole self. Wash me, make me pure within. Cleanse, oh, cleanse me from my sin. We can't wash ourselves. We can't scrub our sins from our hearts. We can't remove the stain of guilt from our souls. Only Christ can. And Christ does through the gospel for all who put their trust in him alone. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters David says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Kids, I'm sure you've had the wonderful experience before of waking up in the morning on a cold winter morning and looking out your window and seeing a big white blanket of fresh snow on the ground. Just beautiful white snow as far as the eye can see, as far as you can look out your window across the way. And that makes you feel happy, doesn't it, kids? Well when Jesus washes your sins away, when you put your faith in him, then you are whiter than that big white blanket of snow, of fresh snow on the ground. You are clean, you are fresh, you are forgiven. As God says in Isaiah 1, 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Or Revelation seven thirteen and 14. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where had they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. When we are washed in the blood of Christ, we're not red from the blood, we're white from the blood. We're made clean by the blood of the Lamb. David's third request is down in verse 9. First part of verse 9, he says, Hide your face from my sins. Don't look at my sins. Don't gaze upon my sins. Hide your face from my sins. Turn away from my sins. Don't hide your face from me, but hide your face from my sins, O God. My sins, they are many, but your mercy is more, as the song goes. So hide your face from them in mercy. Of course, David does not mean, don't look, God, while I do this, while I commit this sin. That would be terrible. He's not asking God to look away while he does something so that God won't see it. God sees everything we do. Even everything we think and feel and desire, God sees all. Nothing can be hidden from the eye of an omniscient God. Kids, when you play hide and seek, which I'm sure you do, if you find a really good hiding spot, you can hide from your siblings and your friends, right? But you can't hide from God. No one can hide from God. He always sees us, which is both convicting and comforting if we trust in Him. But what David is saying here is don't look upon my sins in judgment. Instead, turn your face away from them in mercy. Don't give me what I deserve for my sins. Instead of pouring out judgment, pour out mercy on me and then the fourth request is in the second half of verse 9 and blot out all my iniquities he already prayed this back up at the end of verse 1 according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions sometimes repetition in prayer is okay As long as it's mindful repetition, not mindless repetition. And here David prays again that God would blot out his iniquities. Delete them from my file. Expunge them from my record. Erase them from your book, he's saying. And don't just do that with some of them, do that with all of them. Blot out all my iniquities. Blot out the big ones and blot out the quote unquote small ones. Blot out the ones I know about and blot out the ones I don't know about. Blot out the ones I remember and blot out the ones I've long forgotten. Blot out the ones that others know about and blot out the ones only you and I know about, oh God. Blot them all out. Blot out every single last one of them. Jesus paid it all for us on the cross. He made a full atonement for the full number of our sins. It's not like when you're carrying a pile of laundry from one place to the next and you inevitably drop a sock or two along the way. No, Jesus carried all of our sins on his shoulders on the cross. He didn't drop any. He paid it all, and all are paid in full. Two things we should note about all this before we look at our second main point. First of all, this cleansing, this purging and washing and blotting out of our sins, it happens once for all when we first believe in Jesus, and it's ongoing all throughout the Christian life every day. So it's once for all, and it's ongoing. When we first believe in Jesus, we are cleansed, we are purged, we are washed of the guilt of our sin, of the penalty of our sin, of the reigning power of our sin in our lives. But we still need to reckon with the presence of sin in our hearts, in our lives, every day. So we're like a criminal who's been declared not guilty by the judge, and we go free. But even though we're free from the penalty of our crimes, we still have all kinds of bad habits to unlearn and a new way of living to pursue We've been set free once for all, but there's also gonna be an ongoing change that takes place in our lives. In much the same way, we've been cleansed once for all from the guilt and penalty of our sin, but there's also an ongoing need for cleansing every day as we struggle against indwelling sin and temptation and sinful desires and all the rest. So we've been purged and we need to be purged. We've been washed, and we need to be washed. We've been cleansed, and we need to be cleansed. And the grace of Christ is the source of both. Secondly, I think this has implications for our relationships with each other as fellow members of this local church, or if you're not a member of this church, wherever you are a church member. This has implications for our relationships with those we have particularly committed ourselves to through church membership. Recognizing that, like David, we still have this ongoing need for cleansing from sin, that should produce in us a humility that is willing to admit sin and confess sin to each other. A humility that is willing to, say, share prayer requests about our struggles not just prayer requests about our circumstances, though that those are important, but also prayer requests about our hearts and our battle against our sinful desires. The fact that we are not fully purged and cleansed and washed, that is, we're not sinless, that should produce a humility and a transparency in our relationships with each other. And I'm not saying this doesn't exist in our church, I think it does. And we should be encouraged insofar as that is the case because that's a work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God produces that in us and among us and I know he's doing that here. But we certainly could use more of it, couldn't we? We should want more of it in our church, in our relationships. If we're praying these kinds of things to God, purge me, wash me, cleanse me, O God. And if we're all doing that because we're all battling against sin, then I think it's fair game to talk about that with each other as opposed to giving each other the distinct impression that everything's always okay. So we should respond to all this by praying for humility and by working on the depth of our conversations with each other and that will edify the body and commend the gospel and glorify Christ. Well, cleansing is meant to lead to rejoicing. Let's consider that now more briefly under our second main point, rejoicing. Look at verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. David implies that on the other side of this purging and cleansing is joy and gladness he implies that if God washes him and makes him whiter than snow, then he will rejoice in that. Cleansing from sin leads to rejoicing. Just like if you hurt someone with your words and the relationship is broken and you feel guilty about it and there's a distance in the relationship. If you confess your sin to that person and they forgive you and and all is made well, there's rejoicing. There's the mutual joy of confession and forgiveness and restoration. So with God, when he cleanses us from our sin, it leads to joy and gladness and rejoicing because our sins have been forgiven. Our guilt has been washed away. Our relationship with God has been restored and renewed. And that is a source of joy, a deep well of gladness in the soul. Let me hear joy and gladness, David says. Let joy and gladness well up within my own heart and let me hear it in my own voice. Let me hear it in the singing of the congregation. Let me hear it in the reading and the preaching of God's word. Let me hear it in the prayers of God's people. Let me hear it in the conversation of fellow Christians who've also been forgiven. Let me hear joy. Let me hear gladness. And let the bones that you have broken, rejoice. David's bones that God had broken, metaphorically, he wants his bones to rejoice, metaphorically. But there's a sense in which this is not just metaphorical or figurative because we read in Psalm 32, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. We are psychosomatic beings. We are soul body beings. And what's going on in our souls impacts what's going on in our bodies and vice versa. And guilt is heavy. It weighs a ton It weighs you down both spiritually and physically. It's a heavy burden on your back, both spiritually and physically. And it can sap your strength. It can drain your energy. It's like getting the flu in your soul, and that impacts your body. David's bones wasted away. God had broken his bones, so to speak. God's hand was heavy upon him. His strength was all dried up. And yet he's asking God to let those very bones rejoice. He's asking God to purge him and to cleanse him and to wash him and to blot out all his sins. And he knows that's going to have an effect on his bones, on his body. Just like guilt made his bones waste away, Grace is going to make his bones rejoice. Let me mention two things we can learn from this and then we'll be done. First, both guilt and gratitude often manifest themselves physically. Your face, your demeanor, the way you carry yourself, the tone of your voice, even your posture can be affected by what's going on in your soul. Now, to be clear, when it comes like to something like posture, I'm not talking about physical problems that lead to a certain kind of posture. If you have physical problems, you can be rejoicing and trusting in the Lord on the inside even if you're slouching on the outside. And Of course, we should be mindful of that. Rather, I'm talking about here For example, slouching your shoulders when you're disappointed or discouraged or perhaps weighed down by guilt, that can happen. We've all experienced that before. And on the flip side, gratitude can also manifest itself physically. A cheerful heart will ordinarily show itself in a cheerful face. Sadness of soul produces frowns, gladness of soul produces smiles. So think about that. Think about the connection between the inner man and the outer man. Both guilt and gratitude often manifest themselves physically. And since we have been purged from our sins and cleansed of our sins, as much as possible, we want that to show on our faces and the rest of our bodies. Somehow we want even our bones to rejoice in the Lord. Secondly, and finally, our rejoicing is fueled by our cleansing. Rejoicing is something we're commanded to do in the Bible. Rejoice in the Lord always, but we can't just white-knuckle it. We can't just clench our teeth and our fists and just rejoice, No, rejoicing is powered by cleansing. It's fueled by forgiveness. True joy comes from the knowledge that we've been cleansed of our sins. David says later in the psalm, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Deliver me from sin, and I will sing for joy. If you want to rejoice, don't focus so much on rejoicing. Focus on the depth of your sin and the wonder of God's grace, that he would forgive you of all your many sins against him. Focus on the character of the God who responds to all these requests with a yes in Jesus Christ, and the joy will come. Gladness will be stirred up within you. Rejoicing will follow. Focus on the cleansing you have and your broken bones will rejoice. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would give us joy and gladness in the fact that you have purged us and cleansed us and washed us from the guilt and stain of our sin. We pray for good fruit in our lives as a result of the cleansing we have received by faith in you the fruit of the Spirit, especially the fruit of joy. And we pray that the joy in our hearts would show itself on our faces and in our words and actions. And may you receive all the glory as the one who makes it all happen. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a minute now to meditate on the word that's been preached and then we'll sing together.